We thought that was pretty amazing. So if you were here around, whatever, end of October, beginning of November last year, we had Julie uh, from the living room in Kenya, and she expressed the need that they had of a second vehicle, because the, the one vehicle that they have, it's all over this entire region, and it's, it's an ambulance, but it's also a, um, a hearse. Very often, it's a limousine. It's a vehicle that delivers medicine to people in far remote places that desperately need it. And the one they had, number one, that Hillside bought, was getting very old. Um, But also, it just couldn't cover all of the needs. So we asked you guys, many of you graciously gave, and we were able to purchase for them this second vehicle. And I just want to say, on behalf of the living room and Julie, I want to pass it on. Thank you. Thank you for giving. Thank you for being faithful and they're pretty excited, I would say. And so it'll be a huge blessing for them. Um, I, I just wanted to say one note about Harmony. I think my vocal lessons for her are starting to pay off. <laughs> one day, one day she'll arrive to my level. But isn't it awesome, awesome to have her lead us in worship this morning? So here we are. It is the week of Easter. How honestly, before we, before we get serious, let's be silly for a minute. How many of you have a favorite Easter candy? Anyone? Like you're like every season when Easter rolls around, what is it? Just scream it out to me. Cadbury eggs, Reese's. All right. Yeah, I mean, this is like, why can't the Easter egg candy just stay year round? Like, would it be that hard to keep the chocolate machine producing Cadbury eggs all year long? Just to let you know, if you're not between ages 2 and 11, um, it, it doesn't matter. There's no Cadbury eggs inside of those eggs, so let the little children have their time. Don't steal and raid your children's Easter egg baskets full of candy. Just let them enjoy this time, uh, and, and then you can go buy your own at Walgreens tomorrow morning on your way to work. All right, so we're in our fourth and final week of, of this series, Pray Like Jesus. We, we've been talking about this idea that, that as Jesus teaches us to pray, there's a couple things we've got to note. He teaches us to pray Prayers that are rooted in relationship. It's not about a religious kind of thing. It's not just religious words and phrases and chants. It's not ritualistic. I've got to do this at certain times. And if I, if I don't pray, then God's going to be waving his finger at me. It's communication. It's communication just like that in any relationship. And so Jesus teaches us it's relational, our Father who art in heaven. He says our prayers are to be God-centered, not self-centered. There is a time to pray for our needs, but our prayers are rooted in a God-centered kind of way. That's why Jesus says, pray our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. It's about you, your kingdom come, your will be done. So prayer in its essence is not just about us getting stuff or getting our way. Prayer is about us getting to God and God getting to us in communication. And Jesus teaches us that we have this unbelievable privilege, this honor of going to God in prayer just like we would go to the best father you could ever imagine. The most loving, the most caring, the most gracious father you could ever imagine. That's how we have this privilege of talking to God. Then we talked the second week about our privilege as intercessors. And we had name tags all over this stage. They're back this morning. And many of you put names of people that you love and that you pray for on these name tags because you, as we read these scriptures, you understood that scripture tells us we have an obligation, even a responsibility, 
if we are a Christian, to pray for others. The, the biblical word is intercession. We pray on behalf of others. And we pray and are praying for many names that are on these lists that God would move, that God would speak, that God would deliver some who are fighting addiction, that God would set some free, that God would bring a healing touch to others, that God would save and turn others back to himself. And we've been praying and expecting and asking God to do a powerful work. Asking that this afternoon wouldn't just be about a silly helicopter dropping eggs. It would be about people seeing God loves them. And Hillside is trying our best to show them and tell them that God loves them. Then last week we had this really quiet, boring guy talk to us for a while. He had a little bit of energy um, about this idea that, that if we're praying, we can pray with faith. Not based on who we are, but who God is. And if we have a problem praying like that, we probably don't have a prayer problem. We have a God problem. We're not understanding who he is. We're not understanding how gracious he really is. We're not understanding how powerful he truly is. And, and so prayer at its root is not a, I need to pray more. At its root, it may be, I'm not really understanding who God is. It may be, I don't have confidence in God. So I'm not praying. I'm just trying to handle life on my own. So today we'll talk about my favorite passage in the Bible on prayer because we see Jesus wrestling in prayer. So if you have your Bibles, if you have your phone, you can turn there. Matthew chapter 26. And what I love about this story is it's a story full of mystery. And I read this and I've studied it all week long and even beyond that. And I still have questions about this passage. It's full of mystery and there's just things that we can't understand about who Jesus is and how Jesus operates and what prayer means. But, but very simply, we can get the heart of what's going on here. So Matthew 26, let's begin reading in verse 36. This is just before Jesus is arrested. This is just before Jesus is going to the cross and dying. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. He's, he's calling his disciples out. They're going to Gethsemane for a dedicated time of prayer. Verse 37. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him. And he began to be sorrowful and troubled. So something is going on here. Jesus understands what's coming. He understands he's going to the cross. He understands the pain that he will face. He knows what's going on. He's told his disciples a number of times. But as he's going into this place, he's calling his disciples to him to pray. And then he specifically calls three of them, sort of his inner circle, even to come further with him. And he says, I want you to sit here. I want you to watch. I want you to pray. I don't want you to, to miss what's going on here. And so he calls them apart. But I, I think it's very interesting that Scripture says that Jesus was sorrowful and troubled. And, and this is a part of Jesus that it's hard to understand because we believe here at Hillside fully and completely that Jesus is 100% God. He's the Son of God, but he's God in human flesh. Not just something created, he's begotten of God. He's God in human flesh. 100% God and at the same time 100% humanity. I told you, it's a mystery. But we believe that fully and so something about this moment and the weight of this moment is causing Jesus to be sorrowful 
and troubled. And although we can't fully understand what that means for him, here's what we can understand for us. It means he gets it. He understands when you're sorrowful, when you're facing trouble. We're told in Scripture he can sympathize with us in our weakness. He can sympathize with us in our pain. He can sympathize with us when friends betray us, when people turn their backs. When things go wrong in life and and they're out of control, he can sympathize. He knows what it's like to hurt. And there's something that Jesus is teaching us about prayer and relationship that we can't miss. That prayer is rooted in relationship. That this idea of prayer and relationship means that prayer is not a religious activity. It's not a ritual that we just do. Prayer and relationship means that we, like Jesus, can root our prayers in someone bigger and stronger and beyond us. So that first blank, have you guys got it? It's prayer and relationship. I've said it a few times, but it's so important. We said it a few weeks ago. We keep saying it because we don't want to miss it. We don't want to think of prayer as just a religious activity. We, we don't want to think of prayer as just something we're supposed to do. We want to think of it as vital to our spiritual walk. We want to think of it as essential. And if we don't pray, something's missing in our relationship with God. Because God has created this. He's given us this gift called prayer to keep in contact, to keep in communication, to know Him and to know His will for our lives. So it's important. Verse 38, Jesus continues. Then He said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. He's so sorrowful. The weight is so heavy. He says to them, Stay here and keep watch with me. So overwhelmed with sorrow is literally this this Greek word where we get our word periphery. Jesus is saying, I am surrounded by sorrow. It is engulfing me. It's smothering me to the point of death. Here's what I want us to understand. If you don't understand this, you can't fully understand how great Easter is. Why is it that Jesus felt overwhelmed? Was he afraid? Was he just scared? Or was there something more going on? Was it Jesus saying, I just, I just can't handle this. I mean, somebody betrayed me. I got my feelings hurt. Or is there something deeper, deeper going on? And what Scripture says is that Jesus, unlike any other who has ever lived or ever will live, he carried a weight that only he could carry. If, I don't have these, but so if you want to scribble these down on your notes, Galatians 3.13, if you want to go back and read it later. Galatians 3.13 says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. That Christ redeemed us from the curse. How did he do that? By becoming a curse. He took our curse on him. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So that's 2 Corinthians 5, 21. It says that Jesus is perfect. Jesus never committed one mistake, one sin, never did anything wrong. But God took all of our sin, the sin of the whole world, and he placed it on to Jesus. Jesus became sin for us. 
1 Peter 2.24. I mean, this is Peter in the garden hearing Jesus pray, not fully understanding, but later he understood. In 1 Peter 2.24, Peter wrote, He, Jesus himself, bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins but live for righteousness. For the scripture says, by his wounds you have been healed. It's not just that somebody betrayed him. It's not just that there was going to be pain because nails were going through his hands. That stuff didn't compare to the weight of he was carrying our sin on him. And on the cross, it wasn't just about people letting us down or it wasn't just about physical pain. It was about the sins of the world, the weight of the world were literally on his shoulders. He was carrying them. That's why he would cry out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's how much he loves us. That's what he's done for us so that we could be free. So that we could live the life that he's created us to live. He became sin. So Jesus, in this moment, of course he says then, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. But then he gives two things, two essentials, that in order to pray like Jesus, we have to have these essentials in our life. First of all, Jesus says this, stay here. It's similar to when I tell my dog Patrick, sit. That's what Jesus is saying. Stay here. Stay put. Now, I just heard some giggles. I've been told recently that when I say my dog's name is Patrick, people giggle and they think, what a strange name. Just a simple explanation. It's SpongeBob's best friends. Come on, guys. Get with the program. Patrick's SpongeBob's best friend. So that's why our daughter Kate was like, it's Patrick. That's his name. But just like when I say, Patrick, stay Sure. And he gets distracted by other things and he takes off running and he wants to go do something. Or I'm like, Patrick, stay. And he'll stay for a moment, but then he loses focus because something else catches his attention and he wants to go. Jesus knows that we're a lot like that. I don't know if you're like that in prayer, but if I try to pray, I come up with the best to-do lists. I'm like, oh, it's time to pray. Ooh, I'm hungry. Or, ooh, I need to fix this around the house. I don't care about fixing stuff around the house. But I get distracted. My mind goes. So Jesus says, I want you to stay. I want you to pause. I want you to slow down. I want you to focus. And this word stay in the Greek, it's a word that can, make, can mean remain. It's a word that can mean abide. It's not just sit there, do nothing. It's stay put and focus. Wait. On God. One of the most powerful passages in Scripture about this specific word is John 15. And in John 15, if you want to turn there real quick, it's to the right, a, few, a couple books. John 15, verses 4 through 11, Jesus is teaching, and 11 times in verses 4 through 11, Jesus uses this word stay, remain, abide. And I want to read this to you and emphasize how Jesus uses this. But he's using the metaphor of a vineyard and he's using this metaphor of that, that main vine that comes through and then those little branches that bear fruit and Jesus is comparing us to that and he says, remain, there's our word, in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself, it must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. 
I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. I lost my place. Where am I? There we are. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, pray for whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's command and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you, or literally remain in you. My joy would remain, and that your joy may be complete. Jesus says, I've told you this so you can have my joy. I've told you this so my joy would be in you, and it would be complete. I've told you this so you can have the best life possible. And Jesus says that there's, there's all these different ways that we think life will come to us, hope and happiness will come to us, joy will come to us. But Jesus said the, the best way, the easiest way, the only true way to have joy that is complete is through me. And you could try all these other ways, but true and complete joy comes through Jesus And he says, that's why you need to remain. You need to stay. It's the only thing that brings that firm foundation we sang about a moment ago. It's the only thing that brings freedom and hope in the midst of our circumstances. So he says to his disciples, sit. Just stay here with me. And then secondly, he says, watch. Watch. It means to give strict attention to. It means to be cautious but active think of a picture of a watchman on a wall think maybe of a picture of a sniper on the wall sitting watching but it's active because he's on guard it's not sitting there doing nothing I mean I I, I've heard people say and I've probably been guilty of saying it before that that I want to do something I I don't want to just pray I want to do something prayer is doing something It's what Christ has called us to do. It is active, not passive. And Jesus says, stay here and then watch with me. And I think it's funny that he's telling this to Peter, who we know notoriously has a problem staying anywhere for very long. And he tells this to Peter, I want you to watch. And he knows in just a few short moments, because just before this passage, he told Peter, you will deny me, not once, Not twice, but three times you will deny me. What if Peter would have just stayed there? What if Peter would have just watched? But eventually Peter gets this message. And in 1 Peter 5, 8, here's how he writes it. Be alert or watch. Same Greek word. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy the devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him standing firm in the faith. Because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of suffering. So Peter says, watch out because we have an enemy who is like a lion. He's prowling around. He's looking for someone to devour. He's looking, the Bible says, to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And we have to be on guard. We have to watch out because there is an enemy 
in the spiritual realm. It wants to rob us and wants to take from us all that God wants to give us. So Peter says we need to watch. We need to be vigilant. And so then verse 39. Going a little farther. Jesus fell with his face to the ground and he prayed. My father. If it is possible may this cup be taken from me. Yet. Not as I will, but as you will. So there's, there's something that's going on here, and, and I think it's the combination of discovering prayer and purpose. There's something about prayer that, that clarifies. There's something about prayer that, that gives us wisdom and, and understanding of mission. And so when Jesus comes on the scene here, he's teaching us that this is how we will understand better Life And so just breaking down this passage, Jesus prays. And when Jesus prays in this passage, he doesn't say God. Often he also says our Father. But this time it's incredibly personal based out of that relationship. Jesus says my Father. If you read the Mark account of this passage, Jesus says Abba, which literally means Daddy. The term of endearment. the term that a little six-year-old Jewish boy running around would be running around saying, Abba, Abba. Jesus is crying out, Dad. And he says, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Cup in the Old Testament in, in Jewish culture, a cup represented the lot of your life. The cup represented the good, the bad. It just re- represented your experience. And so Jesus, as it were, is holding this cup that metaphorically stands for what's getting ready to happen in his life. And he says, may this cup be taken from me. May what's getting ready to go on be taken from me. If there's another way that redemption can be accomplished, if there's another way that people can be forgiven and set free, if there's any other way that this could go down, may this cup be taken from me. But then he says this word, in our NIV it's yet, but it literally is nevertheless. Nevertheless, it's literally this idea of I've got a plan, I've got a purpose, I think things could go this way. Nevertheless. So I remember four years ago, I was was at a church and a young family with a little three-year-old, two-year-old, three-year-old girl, she was diagnosed with cancer. And I made my very first trip ever to Phoenix Children's Hospital with our pastor to go pray for this family. And I remember sitting there and being shocked at this, this bad diagnosis, but at the same time, there was faith. And she was just saying, we're trusting God, we're asking God to do a, a strong work in her life. And I was just sitting there thinking, how, how do you go through this? I don't understand this. My wife, Holly, uh, began a, to be a part of a team who was providing meals for this family and, and, and arranging people to help clean their house and all this kind of stuff while they were in the hospital And little did we know, just a few short months later, our daughter would be diagnosed with brain cancer. And the roles would be reversed and we would be the ones in the hospital. But just a few short months after Kate's diagnosis, we're in the hospital. And this family comes to visit us in the hospital. And I'm sitting there with this dad. His name is Aaron as well. And we're talking about how do you pray when life's falling apart, how do you pray in a circumstance where your daughter's going through something you wish no one had to endure? And I remember specifically this passage and saying, here's what I'm doing. 
I don't have all the answers, but here's what I'm doing. I know that when Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, he said, God, if there's another way, God, you can do anything. You can do the impossible. God, would you do a miracle? God, make another way. And he believed and he trusted that God was powerful. But then he also ended his prayer with, nevertheless. You know best, God. Nevertheless, not what I want or desire, but God, you know best. I trust you ultimately. And so I'm going to pray with faith. I'm going to pray with expectation. I'm going to ask a big God to do big things, a great God to do great things. But I'm also going to say, God, my understanding's limited. You are omniscient. You know everything. And I trust you. And what we can learn from Jesus' example that no matter what we face, no matter what circumstance we go through, God is still in control. And part of prayer is surrender. Part of prayer is discovering that there's a purpose oftentimes bigger than our plans. And God's purposes can always be trusted, even when they hurt. A week and a half ago, I had to drive back to Arizona. A a woman who worked for me, her husband's driving down a major road in the city in Phoenix, There's a terrible crash. Instantly their 12-year-old is killed. Nine-year-old still even now, a week and a half later, in critical condition, fighting for life and capabilities. And this dad who's trying to figure out Jesus in the midst of this kind of loss, he's driving the car. And we're talking and he's just trying to say, how do I understand? How do I know what's going on? How do I even process? And we're talking to say, and I'm trying to help him to just remember the things that he's heard, but he's not quite yet believed. To say, God has a plan. And it may hurt and it may be ugly. But in the midst of this, God loves you. God is here. And to see a man so honestly say, I'm not doubting God. I'm just mad at myself for making a mistake. See a man wrestling with these truths, yet he didn't quite believe. And I wonder today, where are we at in that journey? Are, are we at a place where we say, I trust, I, I've surrendered? Or are there a lot of us here that would just say, I think I believe this stuff. But I've never surrendered. I'm still holding on. I'm still negotiating. I'm still saying, God, if you will do this, I will do this. Or true surrender says, God, I, I really wish this would happen in life. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Have your way. There's this interesting scene in the movie, The Life of Pi. Our kids are on spring break, so we just watched The Life of Pi last week, and Pai is this little boy raised in the Hindu culture, Hindu family, and uh, one day he's playing and he runs into this church. And they're, they're playing this game. Long story short, he runs into a church and he sees a picture of Jesus hanging on a cross and he's puzzled. And he can't understand, why would God do that for me? And he says, of, of the 300 million gods in Hinduism, none of them would ever do that. And he looks to the priest and he says, why would God do that for me? And the priest says, Pi, it's simply for this. God loves you. 
And at the end of the day, there are not answers for some of our questions. At the end of the day, I can't give you an explanation that would justify every question, every doubt that you have. But here's what we need to know. God loves us so much that he sent Jesus to die on a cross for our sins. That Jesus loves us so much, he bore the weight of our sin on a cross so that we could be free, so that we could have joy in our lives. And really and truly, at the end of the day, Love erases our questions. Love makes our questions seem insignificant in light of the reality that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And so my prayer and hope for some of us today that would be we would truly, fully experience the love of God. Verse 40 of Matthew 26. So Jesus is wrestling with the Father in prayer. He says, if it's possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Verse 40, then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Couldn't you men watch with me for one hour? Like one hour, couldn't you watch with me for one hour? I guess he asked Peter that specifically. We know the answer to that question already. Jesus says, with a little bit of explanation, watch and praise echoes those words again watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation and then these amazing words the spirit is willing but the flesh is weak the spirit is willing but the flesh is weak there's this civil war that is going on inside of us the the flesh is that earthly part human nature kind of part that's going on but the spirit is willing and the spirit is not the better part of you The spirit is not as some religions would tell you, I have this good spirit in me and it's just I need to feed that good spirit so I do more good. It's No, no, no. It's the Holy Spirit of God living inside of any of us who are believers. The spirit is willing. But there's always this battle between the spirit and the flesh. And Jesus says that prayer is one of the ways we fight. One of the ways we fight for it is in prayer. Watch and pray. And the spirit is willing but the flesh is weak. It means that Good intentions aren't enough. We can't just say, well, I hope to, I want to, I wish. We have to watch and pray. Jesus is telling his disciples, there's some kind of relationship here between prayer and power. See, the disciples made a grave miscalculation. They thought they were strong enough to handle life. They thought in their own ability and power, they were strong enough to handle what would come their way. Jesus is the one who models, you're not strong enough. And Jesus is the one who brings them into the garden, not for his own benefit. He brings them into the garden for their benefit. So that they would know whenever they face trouble, whenever they face suffering, in any and every circumstance that happens in life, here's how you face it. You stay here and you watch. You watch. And you pray. That's how we go forward. That's how we endure. That's how we get the power for the moment. Is by recognizing Christ's strength in our life. Because if we're not careful like the disciples, we will make grave miscalculations. It's like the the little kid, the the four-year-old on the edge of the pool thinking this is sort of fun, like I'm sort of here on the edge and I'm playing and the pool's down there and and it's fun and it's laughing until... They fall in. And then even though mom or dad's standing there, they think they're going to die. You know this when they come up and you see that look on their face. 
It's a kind of grave miscalculation that says at work, I, I know I'm tweaking some of the numbers, but it's not that big of a deal anyway. It's a kind of grave miscalculation that says, oh, it's just flirting with someone. It's not really going to affect my marriage until feelings are developed. And you're saying things or going places you never dreamed you would. It's a grave miscalculation that we have the strength to do it on our own. I was reading this book called The Circle Maker. It's a book about prayer and the author says, For men, the spiritual battle is often won or lost on the battlefield of sexual temptation. When we lose a battle, the enemy wants us to give up. But what he says is we know that in every war... There are battles. And even though a battle may be lost, the war has still been won. If you're a Christian, we know that because Jesus has died, but Christ has also risen. And prayer equals power. And prayer enables us to live the life that God has called us to live. Philippians chapter 4. You don't have to turn there, but real quick. It talks about power that we have. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Do not be anxious about anything, but you're like, but you don't know my thing. You don't know what's going on, but, but, but Paul is saying you don't have to be anxious about anything. You don't have to be overcome by stress, overcome by worry, because in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And listen, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. See, there's a combination between prayer and power. There's this thing that God has power. He has peace that transcends all understanding. He has resources that are unlimited to meet every need that we have. And, and prayer helps us to realize, I can't, but he can I'm not able, but he is able. And prayer helps us to remember and to trust in God's resources, not in our own. And so Jesus gives us this model to say that whatever circumstance we may face, whatever issues may come to us in life, we have hope. We have strength. He's already made a way. He's already went before. And we can trust him. So where are you at on this? I think there's probably few of us who would say, you know, I, I'm a prayer expert. I think I've got this down. No problem. I think most of us would say, I, I, I have room to grow. I have a lot of me that trusts in me. And I need to surrender. Some of us, prayer feels like duty. It feels like a duty that we're obligated and we're like, I don't, I don't want to do that. Wouldn't that be a sign that there's something wrong at the core of our relationship with Christ? And wouldn't we want to say, God, renew my heart, renew a desire to know you, to love you, to spend time with you. When Jesus says, couldn't you watch with me one hour He's talking about staying and, and listening and watching. He's talking about being in Scripture and being in prayer. And, and, and he says to the disciples, but, but he could say it to us today, couldn't you watch with me this week for one hour? Couldn't you just carve out of your schedule one hour for me? 
I mean, you've got one hour for the NCAA tournament or the Clippers or the Dodgers. or You've got one hour to do some of the things that you want to do. But what about those things that are vitally important? Maybe some of us would, would just today say, I'm getting my calendar out for this week. This week of Easter. This week of remembering this holy week. And saying, there's one hour this week. I'm just going to seek God. I'm going to schedule it. Commit to it. And do it. Maybe there's some of us who would just say, there's, there's some things going on in my life. And I just don't know what to do. I can't handle them. This is what today is all about. That's exactly right. You can't handle them. We were never meant to handle life all by ourselves. We were meant to trust God, to look to God for strength in every time of need. And so coming to the place where you say, I can't handle this. I can't do that. Maybe you finally have arrived at the beginning of where God wants you to be. And you could just say, God, have your way in me. (coughs) Maybe for some of you, you've been praying for someone. Or you've been praying for multiple people. And you would say, God, I'm asking you in this week where we celebrate your death, we celebrate your resurrection, we remember you were victorious. God, we're praying for hundreds, maybe probably even still thousands of names up on this stage. God, would you do in their lives what only you can do? And maybe it's us saying, this week I'm going to pray. This week I'm going to carve out time to pray for someone else that God would do in their life. What only God can do. And again, just as a reminder, I just heard a helicopter flying over. The, the helicopter today, I was getting ready to say that before I heard it. And don't worry, it's not coming to drop eggs now. That's at 1 o'clock. It's not about how silly can we be, what things can we do just to be cool. It's we will do Whatever it takes to get people who are far from Christ to drive up here that maybe, just maybe, they would open up their lives, open up themselves to say, those people at Hillside aren't that weird after all. They actually are okay. And maybe they would show up on a weekend, and especially Easter, and hear the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, and maybe God would use a tool like an extravaganza to bring people to himself. And we're willing to take that risk. Because we believe that these names are worth it. And we believe these names are worth an investment and an activity that says, we want to serve you. We want to show you, Rancho, that we love you. So here's what I ask you to do. If you wouldn't mind, stand up right now. There are names on name tags all over the front of this stage. Fireside room, there are names to the left of that that second screen on the left. There's names all over the place. And I wanted this one more time this morning to have a time of prayer. And I'm going to invite you, if you would, come forward, many of you, and begin to pray over these names. But instead of this morning of writing a name down, I'm going to ask you to take a name with you. Grab one of these name tags, take it back to your seat with you, and for this next week, just pray over these people. Pray over these names that God would do in their lives what only He could do. Would would many of you come forward now and just begin to pray over these names? Father in heaven, we we join together in prayer. We join together with expectation because we just trust that you are able. 
And there are on these name tags, there's men and women, there's boys and girls, there's fathers and mothers and sisters and brothers, there's neighbors and co-workers. And God, we are praying, we are asking God in their lives, would you bring a healing touch for those who need that? There's some who, they're addicts. And they have a stronghold of addiction in their life that only you can ultimately break. God, would you set them free, we pray. God, there's some who, some things have happened to them in life. Bad things have happened. And instead of turning to you for help, they've turned away from you. They've turned their back to you. God, we pray that in your love and in your grace today, would you turn them back to you? Would you help them to know how much you love them? Help them to know that the cross was just for them. And God, as we pray for these names this week, God, we ask you to do what only you can do. Move in these lives. Hear these prayers. Respond. And God, would many come to know you as Lord and Savior. Would many be set free. Return to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.